Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of Push to Shout. I'm Mike. I'm Skip. And I am sick, but the Surgeon General has informed me that the germs can't go through your headphones, so you're safe. We got a lot to talk about this week for the first time in a while, or at least since E3. Um, some substantial news. I did a lot of stuff. But let's hear what things are looking like in your world, Skippy. Well, in my world, uh, there's not a lot of video games. Uh, I spent all weekend uh, at Road Atlanta, a fantastic racetrack, about 45 minutes north of Atlanta, uh, having a having a race weekend, and uh, it went all right. Uh, race weekends are separated into usually three days, the first being on a Friday test day where you're not racing, you're just going out on track and making sure your car runs and getting a feel for everything. And I spent all of test day, which is four 30-minute sessions, with my car having serious issues where it was it was popping and and basically it was backfiring like over and over and over was that those tweets that i saw i saw you tweeting something yeah those were those were the tweets i was making uh and then uh but then they ripped the car apart and replaced a bunch of shit overnight and saturday morning for the first qualifying session of the day it worked fine and uh and i was out there with my dad we both we both race at the same time. Uh, I, he owns a car and I rent one and we were nose to tail and qualifying session all the way around the track. We were bump drafting down the front straight and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got some what good times. What the fuck does that mean? Bump drafting. Okay. So in racing, uh, when you're behind another car, it, it eliminates the wind resistance, which actually gives you a huge advantage. Uh, it, it really speeds up the car a lot. Um, cause it's like, like directly behind the car in front of you. Yeah. The main, the main thing slowing your car down at top speed is, is the wind resistance. And so you get right behind another car and you don't have to deal with the wind resistance. And if you want to help that car or sometimes help yourself by helping that car, you can just kind of boop, push them in the, in the bumper. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't know about, but yeah, we, it's kind of, yeah, I'd never heard of it before. It's uncommon in a lot of like, I don't think they do it in like NASCAR and stuff because they're going so high speed in NASCAR that if one thing goes wrong, they're just like dead. But, uh, and like in open wheel races, the cars are too fragile to do that with, but you know, we're in these little Miata sports cars and the bumper, the, the bumper in the front and rear, just, uh, you're able to just smash those pretty hard. And so we'll just boop right into the back of the car in front, and uh, and that gives both people a speed boost. And so if you're qualifying with someone, you want to get up behind them and push them down the down the straightaways. Uh, it's it's pretty exhilarating, and uh, and you have to stay really close during the turns, and so you have to really trust the driver in front of you to like not brake early or something, so that because like you're literally like a foot off their bumper in the braking zone, and you have to be like right on it to avoid crashing. It's 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 pretty crazy, but uh, we had a good. Some good qualifying sessions. The race, uh, Saturday's race didn't go super well. It was a in-class Miata race with like 40-something cars, which is a good a good turnout. And uh, we qualified, I want to say I qualified 13th, and I think my dad qualified like 8th or something. And even though we were nose to tail, that's, that's how close the times were. I think like between like 6th place and 13th place, there was like... Uh, three tenths of a second difference and and the lap times are like over a minute and a half so really really competitive field I've uh, got, i got a little question about racing in general shoot. so what is it that separates a dale earnhardt jr from a skippy sigmatic because uh, obviously you can't just push the pedal down as hard as you can i mean there's what is the yeah. skill in, involved well uh the simplest answer there's there's a lot of things that go into it um the simplest answer is probably just uh, raw experience. That's probably the biggest difference between like me and him would be he has so much racing experience that he would be able to destroy me just with making the right maneuvers, understanding how to manage tire degradation. And there's just so many factors that you have to think of that you basically just learn over time. But also there's the raw skill of, so on a road track, and NASCAR is this way too, depending on the track, but on a road track, it's all about the racing line and, and, and figuring out the fastest way through a corner that your car can handle. So you brake as late as possible when you're making a turn. And and in the turn itself, you have to be on the limit of grip so that you're not 
spinning out basically you have to just you have to take the turn at the like basically when we're when we're working on our corners we have a little we have a little data tracking system that you put in the car and it'll tell you how fast you're going it, it gives you all sorts of telemetry data oh, and stuff okay. so they're probably really good at getting like right at that threshold where they're they, about to lose control exactly never and, do. Okay. and you'll see in a really good driver going we call it 10 tenths which is like 100 percent racing speed because like <laughs> Another thing that people don't know about racing is that most of the time you're watching a race car driver, he's not going 100%. He's he's kind of braking a little earlier than he needs to, maybe going a little bit slower around the corner. He's driving smoother than he would be driving if he was going 10 tenths, the fastest he could possibly go, to manage tires and fuel and whatever. Um and so if you're if if you watch a driver and he's trying to go as fast as possible, his steering wheel, you'll see his hands moving kind of rapidly and, and trying to find that limit of grip going around corners, like having to correct basically the, the steering input and sometimes having to completely counter steer, which means steering the, the opposite direction that you're turning. And uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you get when you're going really, really fast. And a good driver is able to manage that better than a, a worse driver who might not crash the car, but just it's all about those tiny little things so like a, a bad driver would be making corrections in a in a way that that just didn't quite get him around the corner quite as fast or getting on the throttle a millisecond later than the than the faster driver it's 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 all about really tiny things um it, it, which could be really frustrating but also really satisfying when you start getting them right um but anyway the race went not so well for me i i Went off the track at one point, and, and I was just kind of all over the I was making a lot of mistakes, and so I lost a lot of positions. Uh, I, my, my biggest mistake was that I, I cut a corner too sharply. Like, I, there's, so there's, you know, there's, you know those bumpers that are on, like, the exits and yeah. entrances of, of, of corners on these road tracks? I, I cut one of those so, so far that I kind of hit a hole on the inside of the bumper, and it knocked my alignment out which means that like my steering wheel was a little bit crooked and my wheels were probably all screwed up and and so i just was struggling with handling the car for the rest of the race after that it, it kind of sucked but uh you know i didn't crash the car or anything which is always nice there you go. <laughs> uh and then the next day You're we winner had an in your of, own way <laughs> yeah then the next day we had an uh, out of class uh race where i actually qualified quite well but i my dad and i both got to the grid really late because we had to make sure that there was ice in our cool suits so, like, you wear these cool suits that circulate ice water through them, and uh, it, it cools you off, ideally. It only lasts about 15 minutes, and the, the race was about a half an hour or so. But wouldn't the, a truly dedicated racer not want to carry that extra weight? Yes, you're exactly right. Uh, although, in our case, we have to usually put weight in the car to reach the minimum weight oh, okay. to, that the rules allow, so it doesn't really matter. But, like, Formula One drivers, they don't have cool suits. NASCAR drivers, they don't have cool suits. Uh Plus, they wouldn't do anything after about 15 minutes, and their races are, like, hours long sometimes. Um, so those guys are pretty hardcore because I was dying. I was fucking dying at the end of Sunday. Just, like, you, you exert yourself a lot more than than it looks like race car drivers would. Like, first of all, just the steering itself is kind of a lot of force you have to put on the wheel. There's no power steering like you get in a streetcar. Right. And, uh, and it's so hot. The, the engine and actually the transmission puts off a ton of heat and that's straight through the transmission tunnel, which goes right by the, the driver's legs. And, and like by the end of the race, I was having to keep my feet off of the floorboard of the car because it was, my, my ankles were burning, like literally burning. Um, so that, that shit, it, it's, it was like a hundred degrees out there. So that's, that's why, but, uh, anyway, that, that race went okay. My, uh, we, my dad and I, we were late to the grid because of the cool box thing. And ended up starting from the rear because we were too late to get into our positions. And uh, it was actually a lot of fun because we got to kind of make our way through the field, uh, which was which is always fun. I might actually edit like the first few laps together and show people that, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, tangentially related to that is another non non video game related thing. Uh, at Road Atlanta, about two years ago. Uh, there was an event, a, a, a really major race weekend where a ton of Miata drivers showed up. And uh, I, for a film class final, I had the option to make a documentary that was like 24 minutes long. And uh, I basically decided to buy a camera and just go to one of these race weekends and start recording and see 
what I could put together, basically. And uh, I, I put together this kind of really <laughs> amateur, hastily edited, uh, badly filmed documentary about this race weekend. And I think it actually ended up being okay, but, I, you know, I was very constrained by time and, and, and having literally just one person that was, I was having to do filming and editing and interviewing and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, it's, it's very amateur, but I shared it on Twitter. Um, and, uh, if you want to check that out, you can, I don't know, dive through my Twitter history and find the link to it. Cause it's, it's unlisted, but, uh, yeah, I, I decided to share that with people because why not? Um, I'm thinking about like, I'd really like to do more kind of documentary ish stuff about that. Cause like the thing about the amateur racing scene is that it's this kind of underground community that nobody really knows about who isn't involved in racing. And so it, it, there's so much like drama and, and crazy shit going on. All these stories that are, that are just really interesting and, and it's prime material for like, would you a say it's like the WWE? <laughs> no, I would not. I would not compare it to the WWE. I, 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 uh, I would avoid that comparison for once on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that it would, it, it would be, it would just be a really good, uh, documentary subject. And so maybe, maybe I'll do a Kickstarter or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I watched a movie today Great. called Ant-Man. Uh, I watched it with my brother in the theater and, uh, it was better than I thought it would be, actually. This is kind of like the, as far as uh, superhero movies go, like Mar- Marvel movies, it's like the anti-Avengers. Like, it's hmm. small. Like Literally. A smaller budget, yeah. <laughs> uh, smaller budget, clearly. Um, and they have some restraint with the, like, Michael Bay-style action. Um, relatively short compared to those movies, too. It's just, it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Paul Rudd's funny in it. Uh, the villain guy, you know the bald guy in um, in House of Cards? I forget the actor's name. Uh, um, Peter Russo in House of Cards yeah, is the character's yeah. name. But uh, whatever. His character, he's like the villain guy. Of course. He made absolutely no sense. I, that was weird. It was bad. <laughs> but that was really the only bad part of the movie. Um, for the most part, it was it was fun. It was... It was good. It was a good movie, and I would recommend people see it. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that for when I went in to see Mad Max, and first of all, it was surrounded by terrible action movie trailers, like the new Terminator was going to come out, and then there was like Fantastic Four, was Fantastic Four, too, yeah. yeah, all sorts of terrible trailers, and it was the best of those trailers. But like at the time, I I thought that it looked really stupid, and I think it's because the trailer that I saw at least was extremely action focused. Yeah, it's. It's not quite like that. There's genuine funny moments. Um, I, I would actually say there's a little too f- few action scenes. Hmm. They spend a lot of time, not like excessive amounts, but they spend a lot of time in this uh, guy, Hank Pym's house, just talking. Um, hmm. And it's okay for the most part, but sometimes you get like this ham-fisted scene. It's a, and this is what really happened to your mother out of nowhere. And it doesn't really work, but it's not too big a deal. You know, it's, it's just, it's decent at the, at the story. It's a decent story. What it's kind of different or where it sets itself apart from other Marvel movies is that it's very much a heist movie. Like they, it's, it really is a heist movie, but with a superhero, um, the main character is a thief, the guy Paul Rudd plays, Ant-Man. And uh, it's you got classic heist planning scenes where they got the blueprints out, and they, here's how we're going to go in, and then you're going to hack the system. Sweet. But it's it's an interesting take on that because he can become an Ant-Man and punch people, and it's fun. Um, yeah, they also keep the, um, the tie-ins to the other Marvel movies restrained, too. You get, Oof. like, one minor character from captain america makes like an appearance in one scene but it's yeah it's it's you know you can ignore it they keep the real tie-in stuff after the credits this time which is nice other than that there's really not much more to say about it oh i i do want to mention this that the the best thing about it and what really makes it something worth seeing is the creativity of the action um yeah, they they pace them out pretty well. It's not overload, and when they do decide to show you the action, 
it's it's genuinely clever. Um, you know, it's a lot of it is CGI, so it doesn't quite have the same. Well, almost all of it's CGI. It doesn't have quite the same impact as movies that do a lot with practical effects. But as far as like these massive Hollywood CGI blowouts go, they did really, really clever stuff with the premise of being small and a powerful fighter. Like it was cool. And I don't want to spoil a lot of the visual gags because there are a lot of them and they're the reason to see the movie. So that's it, man. Um, While we're on movies, I saw a channel on YouTube where I found one called every frame a painting. And it's really cool. Uh, He makes these video essays that analyze movies, but not for their content, but for their form like the way things are shot and um, the way cuts are made yeah. and movement, things like that. And he does a really good job. He, he makes it in sort of video essay form. Um, he actually even uses a lot of Nujibes songs. Um, I use a lot of that guy's songs in some of my videos. Um, so it, it is a pretty similar style, but his are way better. And what was really interesting is he made a, he made a video explaining why Jackie Chan is so good at doing action comedy. And it was f- really just gripping. He shows you clearly what makes it work. And he, like, okay, just an example. He doesn't move the camera around a lot. And he shows you American movies where they move the camera with the punches. Yeah. So it's like, boom, look how powerful this is. Jackie Chan doesn't do that. And he intersperses clips of Jackie Chan saying, people do that because they don't know how to fight. And it it made a lot of sense, and it's just something that you never think about. But that's why those movies are so much more interesting to watch than a typical fight scene in your average American movie. And he also, as you know, in in addition to the other great analyses he made, he made a video about making video essays, which was awesome <laughs> because you know you, you there are some that are just boring and some that really keep your attention. Mr. B Tung is my favorite at doing this. And I wasn't really sure why, what made it so good, but he referred to this weird Orson Welles movie that was like kind of a documentary video essay thing, and he kind of got uncovered the truth of it, that what makes it work and what keeps people's interest is by having multiple threads running at the same time. And Orson Welles did it with six different characters and their stories and cutting between them, but this guy does it by putting in clips of people the director is talking about their technique and clips of the movie and him making points and it never falls flat because he's he's constantly juggling the the argumentative balls so to speak so yeah i, I plan to keep some of that in mind he really put uh put his finger on what makes writing a video essay different from writing a, a written yeah, essay yeah browsing so very browsing through stuff. is just the search results uh I I think I could go really really deep into this one night and just watch like a bunch of these videos. Yeah, I I watched all of his videos. They're great, fantastic. Awesome. I'm glad really you, I'm glad I'm glad you introduced that and to I me. That's always Patreon, actually. Me. Yeah, that's uh that's always been a really big interest of mine. Is like I've taken a couple film classes where most of the focus is on the shot and how it's well how it's framed. Um, so that's yeah, that's right up my alley. And um. That's a little bit of an Edgar Wright connection there with Ant-Man because he made a video specifically about how Edgar Wright does visual comedy so well with, uh, you know, having characters pop into frames in funny ways, things like that. And Edgar Wright was originally supposed to direct Ant-Man and wrote most of the screenplay, but uh, Marvel wanted him to do some tie-in stuff he didn't want to do, so he didn't direct it. The director of Yes Man did instead. He did a good job, but um, there's test footage made by Edgar Wright. He but if in case people don't know, he directed Shaun of the Dead, um, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, Scott Pilgrim, very visual movies. Uh, that test footage is incredible. I kind of wish we could have seen what that movie would have been like with him directing it, because it would have just elevated it probably to something great and not just very good. Yeah. Um, but those are good things. Something <laughs> bad now. Okay. Okay. So. Life is Strange, episode four, came out yesterday, and I played it. And uh, I think I'll just give a spoiler warning right here. I don't recommend anyone play this, so I encourage you to just 
just keep listening because who <laughs> fucking cares? But um, you know, you're you've been warned. So where we last left our heroes, uh, our flighty, boring character protagonist Max jumped to another timeline where her blue-haired punk friend is a cripple. And that was the cliffhanger ending of the last one. This next episode, episode four, starts with an hour. These games aren't very long. An hour of the same scene repeated like 20 times. It's just them establishing in different ways that, oh, you know... You're my friend, and I wish I'd been there for you when you were going through these hard times with your legs and all. Oh, but I do get so lonely here. But Max, you are my friend. And it's the same energy level, just that uh, lethargic pace, and just it's agonizing. It takes a whole hour. And I thought it was going to build up to something, and it, it looks like it does for a second. Eventually... Uh, your friend asks you to euthanize her by giving her an overdose of morphine. Okay, it sounds like a plot point, right? Something that you can make something of? Well, you get a choice. You can euthanize her or you can not. Ooh. And then that happens. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because immediately after that scene, no matter what you choose, you immediately go back into the other timeline and just undo that whole plot twist at the end of the last episode and the first hour of this so it literally was a complete waste of time had nothing to do with the story and and this game is the gift that keeps on giving um the the reason you go back is to save this girl's dad you try to stop her from getting hit by a car and that's what fucked her up and made her a punk apparently um but you agonize over whether to kill this girl but you don't give a second thought to just killing the dad again. By undoing this timeline, the dad is dead, but she doesn't even mention that. And then later she like has this moral dilemma over some, you know, like, please don't pick a fight with this stoner guy. Like, just completely missing one of the most interesting potential moral dilemmas of their story. But they just don't really care about that stuff. It was really long really boring and i don't know i i i'm kind of scatterbrained because i have so much to say about it and i I really can't go into all of it here (laughs) i've decided i am going to make um a video about the whole series once it's done because there's just a lot there this episode and this is saying something for this game is the worst easily of of all four so far wow um yeah it's it just feels like it never ends and it it actually is like twice or three times as long as the other episodes it just goes on and on it has no reason to there's so much filler there's a scene at a party where you're looking for a kid named nathan and you talk to the people at the party and every conversation goes like this Hey, have you seen nathan no i haven't seen him oh well look out for him he's dangerous but just with different character quirks thrown in. And you have to have, like, 15 of those conversations. It's fucking brutal. And then at the end, they just pull out the dumbest plot twist of all time. It's this. It's shit. Like, it was never good. It's shit now. Great. And that's all I have to say about it for now. I can't really... That's all. You know. Yeah, for people who haven't <laughs> played it, you know, it, it's bad. You sh- It's... Fu- okay. So, I got one more thing to say about it. <laughs> the reaction to Life is Strange uh, gets me angrier than the reaction to Gone Home. Because Gone Home is kind of like... Even the people who gave it praise it didn't deserve, they kind of acknowledge that it's like an art game and a different kind of game. This is praised as like elevating mainstream story games like it's got more mainstream appeal than just the the art house appeal and the fact that it's getting so much praise in that sphere is kind of like a broader problem i guess i don't know um and at least gone home it wasn't great but it really was decent it was fine like there's 
not much going on. Shouldn't be worth twenty dollars, but it's it's a fine game. This is not. Oh well, nothing more to say about that. Oh. Um, and to wrap up my week, I got Journey on PS4. Played it. It's just as good as it always was. At sixty FPS, this is the definitive way to play it. Journey PS4, great, fantastic, beautiful. I'll game. probably buy that and play it again. <laughs> Although you don't have to yes. buy it if you well, already own it. Yeah, that's I, right. The PS4 um, they just isn't give it mine, to you for so free. I don't know if I can do that. Oh. Yep. Okay, well, I'm all I'm all sweaty now from talking about Life yeah, is Strange, great. and I'll probably have a seizure. I'm not actually sweaty, guys. It's just a joke. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to some news. What do we got today? Uh, I'll start out with some news. I'll, I'll start out with, uh, I think this is today's news. Um, Ouya has been acquired apparently they're a company that is still worth some amount of money because razor bought them uh and razor is only interested and might have only actually purchased the software uh for like running the android games and stuff and so it's like it's purely just like a all right we're buying up this this software and we're gonna make some kind of android platform for chinese uh, chinese audience and so it's just like that's that's what OEA is now. It's going to be like free to play Chinese games, probably. Well, I mean, <laughs> they're making something of it at least. <laughs> yeah, at least it isn't just completely useless. Um, um yeah. Well, Razer specifically yeah. said that they are not interested in any of the hardware aspects. Oh of yeah, the... why would they be? Jeez. <laughs> it is uh, a good idea, like in concept. I just a really cheap box for a simple non-demanding game i guess it's not not a good market for the united states at least um and just even for 99 dollars, it might be too expensive it's just a bad compromise because it's like android games that don't run very well on on android itself anyway um blown up into a bigger screen than they're meant to be played on played with a controller that they probably weren't developed to be played with because most of them are developed for like touchscreen and uh, and you have to buy a console to do it, even though your phone could theoretically run it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the, like, yeah, you're right. That's how 99% of people who get it will use it. But I could easily picture myself um, getting something like that, because you can emulate, um, like, Super Nintendo, other old systems on yeah. Android. So but isn't that I, basically I what that BlackBerry Pi is? Oh, Raspberry? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I don't know. I I think that's like a... I know you can, but it's even better than that. It's like a versatile thing that you can do whatever you want with. Or I don't know much about it, but... I think you're right yeah. that the concept could have been executed in a way that it, it would be a product worth buying, uh, but... Ugh. Yeah, and maybe not even necessarily worth buying to me or you, but, you know... Just in as general. As it stands... It really doesn't have value to anybody. It needed to do. It need, first of all, it needed to do the same things that Roku can do, just like have have a Netflix app and an HBO Go app and all that crap. Cool. You know, I actually hadn't followed Ouya closely enough. It didn't have that stuff. I don't believe it did. If it did, then nobody. It didn't like make a big deal out of it, uh, which I would if I were them. That's true. I mean, if even if they did, it's marketed as a game machine. Yeah. I mean, it, it. That's not at all what it what it's intended. Which it should have been marketed as a small computer that hooks up to your TV. Like it should have been a more versatile kind of thing. Um, but eh, whatever. They. It was. Just, it was just a bad. Like you knew it just wasn't going to be a good thing when when even when the Kickstarter started, and like yeah. everyone was saying like, well, is it going to be able to run Oblivion or Skyrim or whatever? I'm like, oh dear, this is going to go down a really dark, <laughs> dark, dark path. And it did. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's understandable that they would only want the software, but even still, how valuable is the software? Like, is it really I don't something know. special? I don't know what it. I don't know what it like. Like, I don't know how you, because uh, like it, it was Android, so I don't know how that shit works. Because I would think like basically you're buying something that's just like a a slightly modified version of Android, which you know, you would you you wouldn't have to purchase Ouya to do that, and right. assumedly the games can run 
probably on any Android system. I don't know. I don't know how that shit works. So I'm sure there's a good reason they did it. And I'm sure they got it for extremely cheap. Uh, so it's true. Most of these acquisitions, you you hear numbers. Because I, yeah, I never know what when the num when the numbers are high, it's a big deal to a lot of people. So rumors get out. This wasn't really even a big enough blip to have the no, rumor spread. Not but, at all. Poor Ouya. Um, did you hear about the Witcher Three New Game Plus stuff? I have now. Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't played Witcher Three, but um. They're making a new game plus mode, adding it to the game for free. Uh, and I don't have the knowledge base to like be excited about these details, so maybe you can give your perspective. Yeah, I'm looking at the bullet list now. Um, very standard kind of new game plus stuff, including carrying over some items. Um, let's see, you can select any difficulty level, you can obtain the deathmatch achievement... March, I think. March. I think it's a typo. Would, yeah. Uh, I it, the thing at the end sounds good. Uh, you get a free clearing potion at the start of New Game Plus. Yeah. So you can immediately rebuild your character. Yeah, that's the thing. Like The Witcher Three has a uh, a kind of unique skill tree system where not only do you have to unlock skills in such a way that you would be kind of accustomed to where it's like there's four or five different domains and you unlock so many and then it unlocks the next level or whatever but then you have to choose them and basically like allocate them and so like you can't have them all active at once you have to choose which of them are active and as you level up you get more slots to put the active skills into um and so I don't know how big of a deal that is because I feel like for most people, I don't know. I guess like if you're the kind of person, like usually I'm the kind of person that likes to min-max RPG skills. Like I, I go all down one tree or two trees that I need and I, I try not to touch the other ones at all. Uh, but in the case of The Witcher, I'm just kind of like, eh, that one looks all right. And I, I level it up. And so I, I don't know. That's not a huge deal, I don't think. Cause that's just, it, it doesn't feel like that's, uh, the, the way that they organize the skill tree isn't, isn't like, oh, re-rolling is going to be this huge game changer. But, uh, I could definitely, like, see someone changing the way that they play pretty significantly, um, by, by doing a new game. I, I, I'm, the thing that doesn't interest me about that is like, the, like my goal with The Witcher Three is to basically play every quest, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of reason to replay those I quests see. or even the game in general. I, I as much as I love it, I mean, I really, really, really love the game. I don't know why I'd want to replay it. Yeah, I guess from what I've played of Witcher Two, I, I wouldn't have a real reason to go back except for a fork in the road that the story can go down obviously i would yeah. play that again but as far as the side quests and the quests in general yeah they're... and the witcher 3 like sure there's all there's all sorts of little forks in the in the stories and stuff but <laughs> i don't know it's it, that, that's the kind of thing like oh i'm interested to see what how that story ends and you look it up online that that's what i would do yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I the game's not like the gameplay isn't fun enough quite frankly to to want it to be more difficult either so eh i'm glad they're doing it i'm glad they're implementing this for free it's awesome but i don't think it's something that the game needs for somebody kept track of uh how many of these free um updates they've been doing this is number 13 they're really going yeah they're pretty awesome okay um you know who's not awesome though Bungie and destiny that boring oh game. boy uh there's a little bit of minor news but that's not really what i want to talk about they said they said that uh your character will carry over into future destiny games the same character and that they're going to support it for 10 years okay that's the piece of news i had a bit of a thought about it the other day um so when they said that this console multiplayer thing was going to be a 10-year experience that would keep people invested. You know, anybody who has a brain was skeptical, right? Pretty but, much. You know, yeah, so... And, you know, I lost interest in, like, a month. 
and I'm like, okay, yeah, they failed, and everybody was, you know, panning the game, you know, not panning it, it was fine, decent, but, you know, compared to most other triple AAA games, it was not a good reception, but I keep seeing Destiny headlines in on every games news website still, and there is obviously a huge group of people who are just obsessed with getting better numbers. It's it's just yeah. an MMO at this point. Yeah, like, I've, I've got they, news for you. There's yeah, a lot at, of Destiny At this players. point, Destiny was successful. They they will keep those people grinding away at numbers it's just for exactly 10 what years they wanted. Least. Yeah, I totally believe that now. Yeah, uh, they've okay. got they have they have a lot of constant players for sure. Um, it's I think I think they've they've pretty successfully kind of punctured into uh, at least a part of the mainstream audience of people who play like Skyrim and Halo and Call of Duty. I think that those kinds of people are buying Destiny and playing it. Um, I, yeah, I think those people, those mainstream people who don't otherwise play MMOs but have that. Like they don't even know it's an MMO is the thing. Yeah, if but if they have that addictive tendency buried in them, then this game might bring them out because it kind of yeah. bridges that that gap. But yeah, and yeah. before we get comments about uh, well, it's not an MMO. Yeah, it's not an MMO. It, it is a I don't know what that they need a new genre. It uses name. it uses the exact same psychological incentive structures yeah, as the an addictive MMO. incentives of an MMO. But they, there does need to be a name for persistent online non-massively multiplayer games where you're like you're building up a character and you're theoretically in the same quote-unquote world but not really i, I wish i wish the classic RPG. mmo would, would would make its big return or something like they there needs to be another world of warcraft I, or there doesn't need yeah. to be but i would like that i i i loved world of warcraft i don't know if i could possibly get into another mmo now like in my life but i i miss that shit and the older public just doesn't cut it. I am fortunate enough not to have played the old Republic, but I heard it's it was just a disaster. It's not a disaster, is the thing, because like if you're if you're Actually, a fan, didn't we of, talk about it. There was something about I'm sure we the have. pay to run. Like, yes, to faster. You yes, because they've turned it into a free to play game, and so they've they've done all sorts of scummy shit with the those, which is the same stuff that like World of Warcraft does and all that. Like they're all that way now. Um, which is part of the reason that the classic MMO will never exist again. But um, the uh, the game itself, if you like Bioware games, single player Bioware games, this it's just a Bioware game that you're playing that is in an MMO world. That's it. Uh, you're playing okay. Mass Effect with a bunch of other players also playing Mass Effect. It, that's it. Uh, and so if you want a Bioware game to play, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a decent Bioware game, but that, that's not the attitude anyone took with it because they were expecting an MMO experience that was decent and they didn't get it. And apparently there are a lot of people still playing the old Republic, by the way. Um, it's big enough that EA brought it on stage in 2015, you know, these, these games, they really don't need to be good. They don't no, need to no, be no, good no. games, and people will play them until they fucking die yeah. of muscle atrophy. Yep, uh, that's the lesson to learn there. But but anyway, <laughs> back to Destiny. Um, yeah, they're gonna keep they're gonna keep those constant players, and they're also they have a system where they're releasing these these twenty dollar expansions or whatever that aren't actually that full of content, but. I think that incentivizes a lot of people to, to to buy the expansion and see like, okay, what have they changed? And then stop playing after a week or two. And that's all they need. You know, they just need that one time buy. Uh, that's true. So I think there's a lot of people out there that are, I think that's doing fine for Activision. Yeah. I, I, yeah. At this point, I'm pretty sure I just was not seeing success the same way they were pursuing it. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's working for him. Rest in peace, Bungie though. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. Um, this doesn't really matter, but PS4 mouse and keyboard announced by Sony. It'll cost a lot of money, hundred thirty dollars. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, yeah, there's nothing to say. It's got a touchpad built in on the keyboard, so okay. Yeah. Maybe you can use it on a computer. Who nobody knows, and but, nobody cares. Yeah, why do you want it? I don't. Whatever. Now this is a little more interesting. So. Uh, it's actually old news. We just didn't talk about it because we didn't hear about it 
maybe you did, but we didn't talk about it. Zero Lab Zero Games, the developers of Skullgirls, are making an RPG called Indivisible. And we really don't know much about it at this point. We know that they're going to do a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, but I don't even think that's up yet. And they've just released like a very short trailer um, that shows like the main character and some of the art and animation. It looks really good. I am not a fan of those traditional fighting games with like high kick, low kick. I you know Smash is about the only fighting game I play, so I really don't play fighting games. But I really loved the visuals of Skullgirls. They were just fantastic, like the two D drawings to yeah. like. I don't know that character's name, but the one that looks like a cartoon from the twenties is just, yeah, 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 yeah. Really good art in that game, and this seems like a really good outlet for for their creative jujus. Yeah, uh, they can really from the things they've showed us, the concept art, and I think you know from that style they could be in-game assets. It's going to be cool to look at at least. Who knows about yeah, the story? Yeah, it, it looks pretty unique. I, I the, the art style, like I'm, I was struggling to uh, watching the trailer. I'm struggling to find a comparison, really. Yeah, uh, child, child light maybe, but not really. Um, I, I like it. I like the that an RPG is using actual drawn animation instead of sprites or 3D. That's cool. Yeah, but yeah, I, we'll have to we'll have to see. I'm gonna follow it. Yeah, cool. Good for them. And then the last thing I've got here, uh, you've got some more down there, but Xbox One, they had a something called a parody clause. And the parody clause is you're not allowed to release indie games on Xbox One after you release them on other platforms. That's not allowed. They have to be simultaneous on Xbox One at the same time as everything else, on Xbox One first, or just never on it at all. Does that include it, PC? Yes. Wow. It wasn't really enforced all that well, but it was still an official policy. But Phil Spencer came out and said that that's dead now. So, yeah. they. He also made a kind of pandery press release about, um, uh, about diversity in games this week, and we don't really need to get into that. But <laughs> one of the things he said in that interview was... He was like addressing the image of Xbox, and he seems to be very aware of this stuff, like what people want from a console, what people want from an online game service. And he like directly addressed that uh, Xbox is kind of seen as the console with broad shoulders, guns, and sports. So, yeah, he he knows this. He knows what he's doing. He's a cool guy, or at least he's doing a really good job at seeming like a cool guy, which is what the job calls for. <laughs> yeah, uh, they Microsoft feels like they've really gotten their shit together in the last like twelve months, because my god, that launch was abysmal uh, on epic proportions. Uh, I, I, the fact that they were are willing to just completely ditch the to connect as just a complete failure and just say like, yep, well, they haven't, they haven't come out and said we fucked up, but like they've abandoned the connect almost entirely. And, yeah, uh, and, but you know what? They didn't just abandon the connect. They moved on to way cooler gimmicky technology, the hollow ends. Like that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. The if, isn't yeah. Really? Yeah. And we haven't really seen what they're going to be really doing with the hollow ends, but it, that you can see, the potential there. And I, I never saw the potential in connect ever. It was never a viable. I'm, I'm still shocked that the connect became a thing that they were trying to push at all period end of story because the, the, the input controls just aren't there. You can't do a game on the connect. It, it has to be a dancing game or a workout game or something like you just cannot play games on the connect the way that gamers want to play them. It, yep, it was the I have, stupidest I've idea. tried it. It's it doesn't work. Even this like Connect sports games, uh, and they that tried to make a ghost recon game on yeah, the Connect. Jesus. The ones that are specifically built for it still don't work. You have to like yeah. fl- flip your feet around to get them to register, and it just doesn't work. And then and Sony comes along and says like, all right, you could buy our optional Connect style thing, and it relies more on the controller for an 
input device than anything, which is what Microsoft should have done from the beginning because you need a joystick or a trigger or something. You need something to be able to... And, ah. and even that is is a, a camera first for streaming from yeah. your console and yeah. with the playroom thing. Like, whatever. They uh. they botched it at first. They turned it around. Yeah, it's amazing that they've turned it around as well as they have because I, I thought that I thought that Xbox was going to have to release a new console like in a matter of a few years to be able to recover. That's what it takes. A guy in charge with an agenda can steer a company in a completely different direction. Well, they got rid of fucking Zynga guy. Well, he went to Zynga after uh, leaving Microsoft, but, you know, Zynga thought he was good enough for them. So (laughs) that tells you something. And then it just immediately, the, the change started rolling in. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. Okay. So, what is this about Street Fighter Five being delayed? Um, not the game itself, but the beta. They uh, they've okay. tied a beta in with like pre-order purchases, and so like you pre-order the game, you can play the beta from you know July something to whatever. And uh, and the beta started a few days ago, I think, and just it was over the weekend. Uh, it was a complete disaster. Almost nobody was able to play. And uh, and it was like a really bad PR disaster for them because like you know Street Fighter fans like it's it's a big tight community and they were not happy about not being able to play a beta for a game that they'd paid for. It's weird because betas are in this thing where it's like, well, it's a beta, so you know you're, you're testing the game and obviously the game is failing, and so hopefully they'll improve it. But at the same time, like the beta was an incentive to buy the game. And so if you cannot play the beta, then it's it's almost like you're being kind of ripped off in a way. Uh, I, I mean, I don't agree, but I understand why people think that. Yeah. Especially with early access and being so popular now. we People kind of feel instinctively that, you know, if I can play it, it, it should work. Yeah, but and it's not it the fault. It is a test. It's not the fault of the Street Fighter developers that the beta the image of a beta has become uh, this is basically a right. demo. Uh, that's not their fault, but they should be aware of that. And I think that, like, recently I've kind of noticed that if it's a true beta, developers tend to call it, like, an alpha. Uh, <laughs> it's just, like, I mean, these are all arbitrary term, terms at a point, but, like, the betas are almost entirely a demo it's kind of accepted at this point, the, which is the stupid. The beta but. version of Destiny was basically finished, but the uh, the alpha version that was only on PS4 was very rough, which is kind of cool, actually. The, I mean, Street Fighter V didn't seem like it worked passably, but I kind of like, if you're going to play an alpha, it's kind of cool to see the... Uh, to see the rough spots before they get polished out. Yeah, and I, I, I think in this case of Street Fighter... The whole intent was to test the servers, and they're probably very close to what they want with the game. Like, you probably wouldn't be... It it would probably be a a very functioning experience if the servers were working, but that was the whole problem, is that people couldn't even get in. Um, So, it's it's a weird... They should call it a stress test or something, you know? Like, if you, people should just not get the impression that they're going to be able to play the game on these dates just because they pre-ordered it. Uh, I, I, I think it's kind of dangerous to tie beta tests and stuff like that into pre-orders and stuff like that. It's 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 a weird, it's a I weird gotta standard. Tell you, that is the reason I bought Crackdown. And there probably you go. most people bought Crackdown. That was the so beginning of, of this nightmare that we live in today. And But you know what, though? Crackdown was really fun, and I wouldn't have played it if not for that beta. Oh my god, Crackdown was great. Uh, it really was. And 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 you know what? That Halo beta was was an actual beta, if I remember correctly. I remember there being some pretty screwed up things about it. Uh, so so maybe maybe that one could be excused, but still, uh, I'm I'm yeah that 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 ended up being a good thing because Crackdown, we're getting another Crackdown, yay, another good Crackdown, probably yeah, hopefully. Um, and uh. The games done quick thing was over the weekend. I didn't watch any of it except for one highlight of an embarrassing moment. Did you Did you see any of it? I didn't. So I want to talk about I want to talk about the uh, <laughs> the close relationship of speedrunning 
and and the YouTube cringe videos uh, that that is built up <laughs> recently. Um, They're gold mine. Have you seen the YouTube video from the latest one where the guy is playing Crash Bandicoot? Nope, I haven't seen the latest the latest batch. Some very kind soul on Twitter that I'd like to thank um, sent me a video of this guy playing Crash Bandicoot. Uh, so a strategy in, in Crash Bandicoot speedruns is that you kill yourself a lot. Like, you'll go into a level, you'll get, I don't know, a checkpoint or something like that, and you'll kill yourself, and in some way it creates a shortcut. And this guy that was playing it was this really unfunny... As you get him, he's an autist, just like, he's trying to make jokes, and uh, he's constantly talking about killing himself, and just, it's really awkward, and and of course, people took offense at it, Uh, and apparently people sent complaints to Twitch, and they actually banned his channel or something ridiculous like that. I, I think that that's still kind of an ongoing thing where he'll probably get unbanned, but like... Yeah, that that was bad. But um, the point is, my point is that this video, uh, he, he the things he was saying in this video weren't nearly as cringy as we've seen in previous speedrunning highlights. Uh, Not specifically. as bad as the uh, the Tomba two <laughs> really yes. to be quiet. Okay. Uh, not nearly as bad, honestly. But the thing about this one is that the room that they've moved this speedrunning thing into is significantly larger than it has been in the past. Uh, they have... It's like the kind of room that, like, you see at, like, these PAX East panels. Like, it's got three big groups of chairs. And they're not... It's not full. At least during the speed run, it's not full. But there's a lot of people in that huge, empty room. And he's making these jokes, and there just isn't a peep out of the audience. Oh, and it's it's just like, you can feel the air being sucked out of that room and oh god it makes the cringe so much better and oh i i hope i hope i hope they keep that venue because <laughs> boy boy does it add to the experience uh of 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 these jokes that are falling flat and stuff but yeah you might have to look up that it's video. like reading playboy for the articles watching these speed runs for the <laughs> it really is terrible uh, social blunders i mean that that is part of the reason that that thing that that whole the sgdq thing has yeah. blown up is because of those videos it's like gained so that much publicity true. for them and it's kind of sad but it, it, the thing is though that uh, when i have tuned in to the speed runs i it, it actually a lot of the time it's really interesting and a lot of the time the person doing the speed running stuff is actually surprisingly informative and interesting to listen to um a lot of times it isn't the player actually doing the speed run it's like his buddy is sitting there explaining yeah. what's going on and that's at least that's the, the at least the speedrunner is usually busy and yeah. has to focus but like this speedrunner like he'll be doing a crash bandicoot level and he's like oh i hate this level it's so stupid i can't wait to kill myself at the end and it's just like dude stop it's rough and, and, oh and i so i was thinking i was just thinking after i saw this video i was like what are the elements of the speedrunning videos that makes them so good? Uh, and first of all, it's just the fact that speedrunners are going to be inherently awkward people. Obviously, yes. that's how they became speedrunners. Um, you kind of feel like you're, uh, you know, it, I mean, well, not feel like it is low hanging fruit. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't make it less satisfying <laughs> in a sort no, of bullying kind of way. Yes, it's it's very mean spirited, but. Uh, so that's that's a gold mine already is that you've got the speed running speed runners themselves that are just going to be instantly awkward but you've also got the the factor of it being live streamed to a quite large audience and the people being the people doing the speed running they're aware that that there's a lot of people watching them online and they're trying to please that audience and it makes it worse as a result and then on top of that, you've got the room behind them full of people who aren't laughing at their jokes and stuff. That that's always a really good uh, little cherry on top. I okay, so I haven't actually seen any footage or pictures from this. How wide is the angle? Like, how many of these dead face people can you see? Because um, really enhanced. You don't really fact. see their faces. The video I saw was pretty low quality because it's just like it's like the the video stream is in the top right corner of the game stream. You know. Uh, but you can see the the shapes of people, and they're not moving, and the lack of sound. 
and then there's there's certain moments where like someone will start saying hype or whatever and you'll hear like a lot of people in the audience saying it so you know there's people back there it's just this it's just this impending kind of vague darkness behind the speedrunner that that is just oh god it's an imposing presence behind them <laughs> but but the thing one thing that i've singled out about these videos that is really good that i don't think i don't think uh, i don't think people realize how much this adds the the music of the games that are being played just the sound of the game being played <laughs> that fills the awkward silences that's true especially Especially, when it's like these old 90s games like that the tomba Tomba 2 music the tomba 2 music if you play that music to me that moment is going to be burned into my head and i'm gonna instantly think of it it's just like that long silence and just the music being played the same thing happens with the trash bandicoot because like it's that same kind of music where it's like really kind of upbeat like jungle style you know grant kirkhope kind of music and and just this awkward silence, and that's what's filling it. And somehow it's that the, it's the musical equivalent of everyone in the room trying to sink into their seats and <laughs> stare at the ground. And it all comes together to make a really really good video. Uh, so sorry sorry to the speedrunners who uh, become the butt of these jokes, but you're bringing it on yourself, guys. I do feel bad that that guy got banned because like yeah yeah that's ridiculous. That's I haven't seen it though, but yeah no it is so ridiculous. What you're but speaking of bullying, this isn't related to video games or media at all, but it's very funny. So um, there was a a study. I don't know anything about it, really. I've just read the headlines and seen reactions. This study has found that uh, bullies have the highest self-esteem of anyone, highest social status, and the lowest rates of depression. Wow. And people are pissed. Like, <laughs> it's just, oh man, it's a it's a bloodbath. Any discussion about this study? I don't know if it's a how valid this study is, but it really doesn't matter if you're just uh if you're just seeing the the carnage afterwards. It's something. It's it's got to be seen. That's yep. That's not surprising though, because like. You always hear the argument like, oh, well, I'd like to see that bully in 10 years. And I think like a lot of the time that bully ends up just being like a mildly successful business person. And <laughs> like everyone just assumes that they have like this drunk father and that they're going to grow up and, and be this like horrible human being. But no, they're probably not. That's the sad truth of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, man, it's... <laughs> Um, this okay. Go if bullies. People, if people actually have the 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 willpower and due diligence to investigate this, the study comes from something called the Journal of Interpersonal Violence. I don't know anything about that, but if anybody wants to investigate, they can. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. You kind of can see it coming. I mean, the a bully is most of the time somebody who's not getting bullied by their peers because they're dishing it out and so they don't get negative reinforcement of their self-esteem as a child as much so you know it makes sense that they would be more confident yeah yay yay it's really bright bright subject to end the podcast on i i have another bright subject um something i forgot to mention did you see the uh the uh women in video games not developers, but like characters, uh, being redrawn to have more realistic proportions. Uh, yes, yes, I did. Yeah, I did. It's, I it's, didn't know that was new, but I, I think the I think movie Disney princesses was the old thing, and now the video game characters are new. They look but, absurd. Yeah, it's disgusting. Realistic. They just make them chubby. Yes, like okay. Okay, okay, let's let's talk about it. So, <laughs> even these really attractive characters, like Lara Croft or something, they're not unrealistic. There are people who look like that. Lara Croft is, but uh, not, old not style. Not new Lara Croft. No, they not did new. The, the I new think one, they did do sure. one, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, there are people who are a, a really attractive in real life. That's realistic. You know, Pat, fucking stitching a pound of flab 
not a pound, like <laughs> 50 pounds of flab around their midsection and, uh, you know, chunking up their face doesn't make them more realistic. It just makes them more ugly and typical. Yeah, oh, it's weird. Uh, it's, well, it is weird, but it's not unexpected. The reason I mention it is because I saw it, like, on mainstream news stuff where it was like, look at these video game characters being having more realistic, and then I looked at it, and it's just like, oh, they're fat now. <laughs> and, like, they do it to, like, like, Cortana, for example. And, like, Cortana was never, like, this, like, skinny... Like, Cortana's always just been, like, a woman. I don't know. I, yeah, I never thought Cortana was, like... Uh, overly sexualized or exaggerated. Yeah, she right? wasn't a voluptuous sex bomb. She was, like, a regular woman, I thought. And yep. I think they've been making her, like, gradually even less, uh, like, I think it's probably, like, attractive. a bell curve, almost, because I think, like, as the Halos went on, they focused more on making her sexy or whatever as the technology got better. And then probably as the discussion, the meta discussion in the game industry changed, they've probably moved in the opposite direction now. And, okay, so the funniest one to me is the Grand Theft Auto girl. Yes, because, because it's supposed to be yes. critical of those kind of women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this, you can, it's safe to assume that the subject, or at the very least for sure, like the satirical target of this picture are like valley girls, bleached blonde hair, fake tits, you know, it that's what this is taking she's selfies taking on the beach. She's taking a selfie cuz she's narcissistic and that's why she's skinny. Exactly. And this they just fucking use the liquify tool in Photoshop. And, and she's the worst one, too. She's the ugliest I that I've seen of like the the <laughs> the photoshopping because like they also they made her fatter but they made her boobs smaller in a way that doesn't actually make physical sense. Yeah. And so if you look at it, like, she doesn't really have much cleavage, and it it looks really unnatural and weird. Um, yeah, it's so kind of like uh, pancakes at this point we're dealing with, some, some, uh, some soft flapjacks. But what's funny, another funny one, is the Naburu from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, like, I saw that one. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> Fuck it. It's a cartoon. It's it's not even a human being. It's it doesn't have to be a realistic human body. She's not a human. She's got a fucking elf nose and crystal coming out of her hair, and and she kind of does look like regular Indian belly dancers. And they whatever. Who cares? You can't logic this. You just gotta make fun of it and hope it goes away, which it never will. Video games will die because of feminists. Yes, you're losing yes, your hobby. Man. That's Rise what I up. keep saying. Rise that's up what I keep rebel. saying. Um, yeah. Okay, so I guess I have one last, you know, piece of nonsense to talk about. It's really nothing big, but today I was considering going to Pixels instead because I thought it would be funny to make fun of it, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, but. Before I went, I watched Red Letter Media, you know, Half in the Bag episode on Pixels where they uh, review the movie and talk about it. And I'm really glad I didn't choose to go see it because it's apparently not like Jack and Jill funny where you can say, wow, this is just shit. It's just completely devoid of jokes, uh, plot, just anything. It's... All it has are visual effects and references, and it's just incredibly boring and, you know, so, and, okay, the point of all that was that uh, one of the guys, he's not Mike or Jay, but one of, like, the guests that they have on sometimes, he said at the end, you know, I have very little room left in my heart for hate of Adam Sandler, (laughs) (laughs) that's basically where i'm getting or you know that's where i am at this point with uh with social justice warriors and uh this you know you know at the end i'm packed full at this point i I always get to that point and then there's something that comes up that's just like just when i thought i was out yeah they pull me back exactly 
because uh, <laughs> there's they can always go a step further that you just didn't think was possible, and and it just oh god, or it affects something that you like really 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 love, <laughs> and it's just like impossible. They are innovators. Oh yep, they are. They're very creative. Uh, but yeah, no, I I that 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 is kind of my opinion on Adam Sandler though. Is like this whole pixels thing that people are kind of like a lot of people are getting pretty angry about pixels because like it's like oh this is another another case of just like using video games and stereotyping nerds and all this crap and it's just like it's just a stupid movie with video games in it and like it doesn't look it doesn't look as offensively bad as Jack and Jill like it's probably the same amount of it's probably exactly as bad but in a different way where it's like honestly they can top the jack and jill product placement oh god but i I don't know though because that's how he makes his his money in these movies so there's probably got to be a lot of it i think he recognized like the threshold he shouldn't cross with jack and jill because at some point he starts to fail financially yeah but anyway yeah it just i you know you just feel full like you've ate ate too much and your stomach is full you don't want to eat anymore so maybe I just need to take a big shit and then I can hate on SJWs more. But we can do that another day, another podcast. Well, I think Marvel should make um, Magneto black. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Push to Shout Podcast. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.